welcome to Conversion Stories, where I share my conversations with members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I am your host, Joey Erickson. In today's episode, you will hear how Mike Watkins was able to distinguish between the doctrine of the church and the culture of the church as a teenager how gaining spiritual independence helped his testimony to grow, and how today he teaches his children to recognize the Spirit. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mike. So Mike, thank you for being willing to share your testimony today and your journey in the church. And why don't you go and start us off by introducing yourself. Sure. Uh, my name is Mike Watkins. Um, I grew up a member of the church, and I um, was born and raised in California um, all the way till I was 18, and then I went to school in um, at BYU for the summer, like literally three or four days after I graduated oh, wow. from high school. I, went, I was in BYU, and then after BYU... Um, I went to BYU-Idaho in the fall, and then I served my mission. Um, I, um, in January, after that fall semester, I went to Houston, Texas, Spanish-speaking. And um, then I came back to BYU-Idaho, um, studied, met Mallory, my wife, got married. You know, We've moved around. We've moved to California, to Maine, to Montana, and now we're back in Maine. Um, as far as like hobbies go, I like um, anything outdoors. Any I like sports, you know, any sports, anything outdoors. I feel like my hobbies are always, I'm always trying to learn new things. Mm-hmm. So like learn, like in Montana when we were there, I was like, I got to learn how to fly fish because we're in Montana. This is like, <laughs> the river runs through it literally. Like I am at that river, so I had to learn that. Um, and, you know, just different phases of life, different hobbies and things come up that it, you know, farming, small farming, like chickens. We have bees right now for honey. Mm-hmm. Just like learning things, um, languages. I like languages, Spanish speaking on my mission, learning French right now. Um, I like cultures. Um, I like, I know, talking to people from different cultures. I feel like it opens my mind to different ideas and things that maybe I didn't grow up with or wasn't familiar with. Mm-hmm. But, um, getting insights from different people from different areas of the world, I feel like it, like, enlightens me and gives me a different perspective that I didn't have before, and I like that. That's awesome. <clears throat> well, why don't you bring us back to your childhood slash youth years and tell us what it was like growing up as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, so it was, it was good. Like, I, like, we grew up in a ward, um, I grew up in Morgan Hill, California, and I grew up, um, you know, I, ever since I can remember, um, my, my dad was sitting on the stand, mm-hmm. like literally my whole life. So he was either a counselor in the bishopric, he was the bishop, or he was state president, or not the state president, but in the state presidency, and just sometimes at award, sometimes not. So I remember when I was really young, sitting with my whole family, but for most of my life, you know, just sitting with my mom and my siblings on, on the pew, which I know you've been in, <laughs> you've been on the pew with just the yeah, kids uh, yeah. many years. But, uh, uh, but as far as like our ward goes, we were actually, we had quite a strong ward. Um, and it was interesting because um, California, I feel like that's always been like a lot of Utahns have, and my parents are from Utah. And so they grew up in Orem, Utah. So I feel like a, a lot of Utahns moved out to California, like L.A., the Bay Area. You know, we had the Oakland Temple. Mm-hmm. We had the, the L.A. Temple that were built. Um, and then 92, the San Diego Temple was built. And that's when I was, I was, eight, I was baptized around that time. So there were, um, you know, there's a lot of members that were moving out from Utah, a lot of transplants. And so there was, I, I mean, I, we didn't have like seminary, like release time seminary. Like, we didn't have that, like some parts of Southern California. But we had early morning seminary. So we probably had like 25 kids in our high school that 
we're members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't like living in Utah, but we had, it, but it was more than living in Maine. Right. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yes. So like whenever my, like I try to relate to my kids, like, you know, I went to a school that didn't have many members. And they're like, well, you had, just the fact that you had one other member was more than I had. You know, it was just, <laughs> yeah. they always throw it right back in my face. But, uh, you know, it's, I, I, yeah. I think I can still relate to them because my school had like 2,000 kids. And it was only like sophomore, junior, senior year. So it was just three grades. That was my high school. Yeah. Um, but but it, was a str- it was a strong ward, a lot of good members. Like, it was interesting. A lot of people moved there. Um, and we, we actually, I remember when our ward split, like there were two wards in our little town of 30,000 people. And at the time, there were probably less people than that, probably like 20, 25,000. So there were two wards, and we had so many people moving in. This was around the dot-com era. So this is Silicon Valley. The dot-com era was happening. Um, and so all these companies were just, like these dot-com companies were just springing up all these tech companies all over Silicon Valley. It was attracting a lot of people from Utah. A lot of these like you know young families were coming in. And so it was so crazy because like my dad was just put in as bishop and he was, I still remember this, he was put in as bishop um, around November 1992-ish. And um, there were, he says there were like 600 members of the church and on our roster, but three, over 350 were attending like every Sunday, 300, 350. So it was like, you know, chairs in the back, you know, and he got put in like right at tithing settlement time. Put all the 300 to 350 people. <laughs> so, like, not only did I not sit with them, um, like, on Sundays, but I don't remember seeing him much, mm-hmm. like, in December, just because there are so many members. So, after, after that, I think um, the Lord took pity on on us and, like, split. <laughs> they, they finally split it, you know, made another yeah. reward. Because yeah. it was just so much of a burden for the bishop at the time. Right. So, it was kind of an exciting time to be there. Because there was like all these, there were all these families moving in, um, so it grew. Um, had a lot of really good influences um, growing up there. A lot of really, um, yeah, great like mentors, like youth leaders. Like I look back, like um, I, I was a scout leader here in the Ellsworth Ward and Earth Branch at the time, and um, you know a lot of my scouting experience, my positive experiences, branch from the awesome scout leaders that I had, that I had, that I had grown up with. Mm-hmm. And they were doing scout trips, like every, every month they were doing something. We were always actively pursuing our Eagle Scouts. And so I always wanted to like carry that, try to carry that torch and, you know, try to do that with boys here. I, I don't think I did as good of a job because they were like, I just had amazing scout leaders and uh, young men's leaders mm-hmm. and it was just, fantastic and a lot of good resources a lot too. of good resources yeah. yeah a lot of good resources mm-hmm. so it was so that was interesting um but ironically even though we had like this big influx of members it was a big enough town that there were uh, elementary schools were kind of spread out and i didn't have like like i had my friends that i grew up with because i grew up i lived there all my life but i didn't have a lot of members of the church that i was like really close friends with mm. i did for a few years but then, like, some people would, like, move, they'd, like, buy a house, and then, like, the house would, like, triple in value, and then they'd sell it and move up back to Utah. Like, that was kind of the thing. People from Utah, those are the primary people that were moving out. They would, um, you know, move out for a few years and then head back home. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of like what we we see that here in we do. a little bit, too. Yeah. Um, but, um, so, we, we had friends come and go, but, I mean, overall, you know, it was... You had a lot, lot of really good people coming in and out of there. But it was interesting because, like like I kind of touched on before, I didn't have, you know, I, when I look at my whole, like, bringing up experience in school, there weren't a lot of, um, I didn't have, like, most of my close friends, the ones that I hung out with, especially in high school, they're all non-members. Mm-hmm. And so I, I always kind of, and I don't know if it's because we all went to different schools, so you, you, know, you kind of, like, get your groups of friends from different schools, and then you, like... The middle schools combined into one high school, right. and you already have your friends established. Right. It's not that I wasn't friends with those other kids. We say hi, we hang out a little bit outside of uh, outside of church, but it was mostly just like like my closest friends were not members of the church, which was, which was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. 
but you know, that's just the way it was. And, you know, I think, um, there was definitely, there were definitely times when like, like, I wouldn't say, um, I'm trying to think how to put this, like, it was hard for me to distinguish between like church culture and church doctrine. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I know that's that's a common thing that, that I recognize now, but we didn't really talk about that growing right. up. Mm-hmm. But it was hard for me to see because, like, doctrine and culture were all one thing wrapped up into, like, this one scroll, right? When you're going, when you're growing up and you're young and your perspective is, like, this big, like, really tiny, mm-hmm. like, you just don't see the differences between those two things. So once I started to, and I, I kind of struggled with it sometimes because I was like, well, why, why do we do things this way and... Why do these kids do that? You know, you just kind of observe things and you observe kids um, like, why are they acting that way? Or, you know, it's just not trying to be judgmental, but just the, some things I would question like, that doesn't seem right, you know? But once I started to separate like culture and doctrine and like really hone in on like, okay, well that's, like I started to recognize the differences between the two things and I just felt like so much stronger knowing that like okay that is not church that is like that's a cultural thing this is church like this is doctrine this is true right Mm -hmm. here that over there not true and i think like once i really started to like hone in on those things those elements um it really strengthened me like in my testimony in the church Mm um i'll give you an example um like, I, I remember, like, um, like, there were just, like, I remember I was in high school, and there were, you know, like, I, I had a lot of non-member friends, and a lot of the non-member friends, you know, they were really close, but sometimes they would, they didn't make the best of decisions, but they knew where I stood on things, mm-hmm. right? And so they respected that, and um, there were just a lot of, there were a lot of bad influences at school. I mean, just like any high school. I mean, there are kids doing drugs, kids doing all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And just being surrounded by that all the time, like, it just kind of weighs down on you. Like, you're just surrounded by it all the time. Mm -hmm. And just kids doing stupid things, even members of the church, you know. And that's kind of hard to see. But I remember my junior year of high school, I was looking to um, just graduate early. Because I was like, man, I'm just this is like wearing on me. Like I need to get out of here. Like, and it's not that I was struggling spiritually, but I think, you know, we, we all go through times when we like, we're strong right. and then we're weak. We kind of, it's kind of like a roller coaster, right? Yeah. And I just felt like the best thing for me would, would have been to, at the time, this was during my junior year, the, just being surrounded by all this, I thought the best thing for me to be, would be to, to graduate early and move on and, I had plans to move in with my brother in Arizona. He's seven years older than me, so we kind of joked around, hey, you're not married yet. You're gonna, <laughs> we're going to be roommates, right? So it was kind of funny. Um, so I, um, so I, I had this plan to do that, and you know, just kind of getting sick and tired of like all these different things. And when it came time to do it, like, and I was praying, I, I felt good about it. I felt good about making that decision. And I I'd had a lot of like, spiritual moments like before that like growing up like patriarchal blessing I actually was fortunate enough to receive my patriarchal blessing from my grandfather oh, wow. which was pretty cool that's very cool so that was a very cool experience um I've had uh you know just moments when you know you have prayers answered um you know so I've had those spiritual moments but I think I was trying to maybe by doing, making this decision to graduate early, I was trying to like have that, uh, another moment where I thought I was doing the right thing, mm-hmm. trying to have that spiritual moment. I was seeking after that. And I don't know, I just felt like I shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And it was really weird. I was like, I thought, I, I thought this is what I was gonna do. Like I thought I was graduate early, get out of this, this you know, mess of all this adolescent drama and you know, poor decisions and all that. I was like, I thought this was what I was supposed to do, but I just felt this, like, strong impression that, like, you should just stay. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting because around that time, too, I felt very, I felt 
it, it kind of, it, it was weird. It kind of empowered me to like just, you know, look past all the, all of that stuff and just stand on my own two feet and just be like, I don't care what other people think. Like I, I used to be pretty self-conscious. I, yeah, I think we're all art to yeah. some extent, right? Yeah. But especially as a teenager, mm-hmm. really self-conscious, really cared about what people thought about me and, you know, what, what are they thinking? You know, you just think everyone's looking at you and staring about at you and thinking about you the whole time, but right. really it's not a big deal. So I think at that moment, I just like shed all of this, like mm-hmm. this, like self-consciousness of like what everyone cared, thought and cared about me. It was weird. It like, once I decided to stay, I was like, it just like shed. And I just like, all of a sudden didn't care about any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like once I, and I felt like it was like, almost like de- declaring independence in a way, mm-hmm. like being an adult, like, and I know I wasn't like a full on adult by then, right. but it just felt like making this decision for me, like independence for me. Um, I felt spiritually independent because that was a big decision to make. And my mom was kind of having a hard time with it. Like that thought of like sending me off sure. <laughs> early. Uh-huh. I know you've yeah, been there I can, too. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, uh, so going out, you know, leaving home early and all that, like it just kind of, I don't know, like I making that decision for myself. And so that whole senior year, I just felt like, like I almost didn't want to be in youth anymore. Like I almost just wanted to like start attending. I, was, I felt like, like graduated, like I mm-hmm. moved on like yeah. from that summer. Um, and I was doing a lot of things for myself too. I think that kind of helped too. I was like, you know, me and my friends just decided we wanted to like go surfing and take up surfing. Like we just learned how to surf. Like mm-hmm. first day of summer, we went and bought surfboards at Santa Cruz and we'd go like three days a week. And it was really cool to just like, cause I was like, when am I going to get a chance to do this again? I don't know. So we just did it. And we, and so we just, I don't know, it was like a summer of independence and you know, we just started living the way that I wanted. I had a lot of friends my junior year that, you know, claimed to be friends, but then they were like, you know, you're not going to be one of those Mormon missionaries, are you? You know, they'd say things like that. And I was like, I don't know, but I was like really self-conscious and I was like, I mean, is that like a big deal to be like a missionary or, you know, what's like, why would they say that? And, right. you know, I just, it's things that I didn't understand. I just wasn't mature enough to like be able to respond to that well. Cause I was like trying to understand their perceptions and whatnot. And, um, you know, I, after that junior year and after that summer, you know, things started clicking. I just felt like more mature. And I was like, you know, none of this stuff matters. Like, like, I, I kind of hit that point, too, where I was like, after this year, I'm not going to see these people ever again. <laughs> like, right. this is just a bubble, and everyone's going to go their own way. People think we're going to be best friends forever and stay in touch and, you know, all these things. And I just kind of hit this point where I was like, there's so much more out there for me, like so much more just like waiting for me mm-hmm. that I I was just excited to like go and do, you know. I was thinking, like, I was already thinking schools, trying to apply to schools, um, thinking mission, because I'd, I'd made a decision at that point that, like, yeah, I'm going to serve a mission. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, so I, it was just, you know, all that kind of culminated into this experience where, like, and things just started clicking for me after I had made those decisions and kind of declared the independence that, like, I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, yeah, it just started making decisions for myself and not for based on what other people thought they wanted or saw me as or wanted for me. It was just, it was, it was selfish, but it was the best thing for me because it was, I was making the decision. I wasn't making it because someone else, I wasn't thinking about other people when I was making the decisions. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of, a lot of young people, I think they kind of, I, I can relate to it because I was there. I think a lot of people make decisions because they're worried about what people think of them yeah but once you can get past that and realize like you know this is just this is a blip in my life this is a bubble and if you can like find it's like the matrix the movie the matrix (laughs) when you finally realize like this isn't real Mm -hmm. and you realize man i can get out of this thing and this is all fake you know and you can move on from high school and all that 
and you know find that spiritual independence to like you know these are the, this is going to be the best thing for me you know to go um go to BYU Idaho go on a mission like I wanted those things mm-hmm. and I craved those things and that I set my sights on it and I actually it's funny because my senior year like there was like a like again like I mentioned I wanted I didn't want to go to my mom thought I was going inactive or something. Like, I didn't want to go to youth anymore. I, I just felt like I was, like, too old for it at mm-hmm. that point. I was, like, 18, you know, mid, midway through the year by, like, December. Oh, yeah. And then I was, like, 18. I was, like, I don't want to go to hang out with a bunch of 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just get to that point where you're just kind of, like, ready to ready to move on. And um, so I think my mom was maybe a little worried about me. Like, you don't want to go to youth conference? Yeah. You don't want to do this? And yeah. I was like, just, but I, I didn't know how to like articulate it at the time. Like, I just felt like, like if I would have known that I could have just like, like maybe not be ordained an elder, but just been like, you know, allowed to attend. Sure. I, I think I would have done it. Yeah. But it just, I don't know. I think it wasn't normal to do that then. So it just, yeah. like, what's wrong with you? You're a youth. You should be excited to do these things. And I was like. I'm done doing these things. I want to go do other things, you know? Right. So, I don't know. It just, it was a maturity thing for me. Um, And once I got to BYU that summer, and I I went to EFY. I had some good experiences at EFY before that. But, like, when I went to BYU that summer, I was, like, 100% independent. And I was was on my own. I was going to my own classes. And uh, my sister and her husband lived in Provo, too. He was graduating he's taking like one more class so I lived near them I lived near my grandparents mm-hmm. um and so it's just really fun to like be there on my own and just kind of come into my own a little bit more with that kind of uh that mindset with um you know I wanted that spiritual independence because I think you know for those of us that grew up in the church at to some extent you're kind of relying on your parents testimony right yeah yeah so it's it's being able to like stand on your own two feet without your parents. And that was a big thing for me. Mm -hmm. Like, I think, I I don't know when I finally, like, again, I said I had spiritual experiences um, growing up, like really strong spiritual experiences. But like, it's different when you're on your own and you, like, it's up to you to go to church. Like, you're, you're you're living in your own apartment you don't have to go to church if you don't want because it's <laughs> right. up to you. You don't have Nobody's someone dragging you out of bed. No one's, no one's waking you up. Right. Totally up to you. Mm-hmm. So having that experience to be independent and make those choices, that's that's when I really started to, like, again, I had these experiences, these great experiences, but having that independence and having to make those choices, mm-hmm. I think that's when I really started to solidify that and my desires for what I wanted in my life. Mm-hmm. I really started preparing for, for greater things. Like, again, being being at BYU, those religion classes, I was like, wow, this is like EFY all the time. Like, this is like this is way better than, I mean, we had, we had good seminary teachers, but we had early morning seminary. I didn't, I'll be honest, I did not get much out of early morning yeah. seminary. Yeah. And I was just half, half awake the whole time. Um, and I, again, I didn't put much into it, so I probably, I, I got out what I put into it. Right. But, I, but I, we always had, um, you know, family scripture study, and we always, like, read whatever um, book was, you know, whatever standard work we were studying that year. So at least we did that. But I didn't, stud, I didn't like, memorize scriptures or anything like that, like mm-hmm. a lot of the youth do. Um, but, you know, it, it was just, like, I, 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 when I chose, when I decided that I wanted those things, that's when my testimony really started to grow. So again, going to these like religion classes, mm-hmm. it was like, man, like I'm getting all these insights and, you know, it was on my own to study the scriptures by myself. I was on my own to go to church by myself. Like all these things were like on me to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my testimony really became independent and grew from there. And like, I think... When in the fall of, um, so I BYU Provo in the summer, and then I went to Rexburg in the fall, and again I had like awesome friends, like a just really good experience, great roommates, and um, we uh, like I was trying to decide like 
when, when am I going to serve a mission? Like, when's it going to be? Like, should I, because my brothers, I had two older brothers, they both served in the sun, like they left home in the summertime. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking like, well, I'm, should I just like follow that pattern? And I was like, you know what? I should just leave after this semester. Because I, I was on the summer fall track at BYU Idaho. They have a, tri, mm-hmm. a trimester thing where you do summer, fall, fall, winter, or fall, spring, or spring, summer. You know, you pick two of those semesters and then you're off the other mm-hmm. one. So I was going to be out in the wintertime anyway. So I was like, well, I'm just going to serve a mission starting in January. And I started like on my own. I just started doing my paperwork. Mm-hmm. And I told my mom, and she was getting really excited. You know, she was pretty <laughs> He's happy not about that. Yeah, yeah. All. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I was like, I had a lot of questions because I was like, um, you know, I, I need my like health records, and I need, you know, there's like so much paperwork right. you have to do to get ready for the mission. So mm-hmm. logistically, I needed some help there because she had all my like vaccination records, all that stuff. Right. Um, but I was doing all the like interview stuff with like the bishop and the state president. I handled all that. And, um, I remember I, it took like two weeks to get my mission call or something like that. It was a pretty quick turnaround. Wow. And, um, cause I was going to be reporting like after the new year. So, um, I know a lot of people, they'll have like a big party when they like a big opening party when they like open their mission call. Mm-hmm. Right. That's pretty mm-hmm. popular. I remember I got mine. So I can't remember if I told my mom this, maybe she'll hear this and find out, but <laughs> <laughs> she may think that we shared the mission call opening together. I don't know. But sorry, mom. <laughs> yeah, sorry, mom. I uh, I got it in the mail because I was checking every day. I was just so anxious, yeah. and so I got it. And then I remember taking it from my mailbox and running to my room. I was alone in my room, mm-hmm. and it was just a special experience to like open it all up in my room, like alone, like no one else was there, no one was on the phone. And then like I think I can't remember if I, I don't think I told my mom. I think I may have acted like I opened it in front of her or something. I, I honestly can't remember. But, um, you know, honest uh, honest lie right there. But <laughs> made mom feel good. But um, it was fun to, you know, just like, it was kind of a sacred experience to like open that thing mm-hmm. just alone and just like quietly in that room and like take it in. Like, okay, Houston, Texas, Spanish speaking. I was like, okay. I mean, so I, I didn't know where I was going to go. Um, I had no idea. I, I wanted to speak another language. I was hoping I would go to Europe and speak German like my, my, my father and his father and like in their whole, my whole, my dad's whole family, they all speak German. They all, my, my father, he went to, um, Austria when he was 13 because his father was called to be a mission president oh. and he was a linguist. My grandfather and he spoke like nine languages, taught at BYU, all these languages. And so, you know, my dad and his siblings, they had this experience of living in Austria for like three years and they all learned German. They all lived at the mission home and had this amazing experience. Right. I heard about it all growing up with, you know, all their, um, you know, just being there, um, in another country and all the faux pas that they make, you know, being in another country, trying to learn the culture. Right. So I always heard about those things. So I always wanted, I always kind of wanted that experience. Um, so I can't say that Texas was, it was it was foreign, it was not like California. <laughs> um, it was different from Idaho and Utah, other places I've lived. But um, it was uh, you know it was in the United States, and but there were times when in, in my mission when I felt like you know because I was Spanish speaking, there were many times when I felt that I was in another country because mm-hmm. I would go days without speaking English except to my to my companion because mm-hmm. um, we're just. We were in these Spanish areas, these communities that just speak Spanish, and we'd contact in Spanish all day, and we'd talk to these people. Um, you know, we'd teach all day. So it was just, like, Spanish all day. And even when I had a mission companion that was from Mexico or Peru, I had a couple native-speaking um, Spanish companions, and um, I would think about it at the end of the week, I'm like, we haven't spoken English all week. <laughs> like, I'm literally immersed in this, like, 100%. Yeah. So it was... Uh, you know, it was a really cool experience. Like, I felt like it was, even though it was in the United States, it was a foreign experience. Mm-hmm. And so I really appreciated that. Mm-hmm. And it's, and, and the, even though I was disappointed at first that, oh, I was kind of hoping for German, you know, yeah. connect with my dad's family. Sure. It, it did turn out that it was my, my other grandfather's mission, part of, it encompassed oh, his mission. That's cool. 
And he spoke Spanish too. So he was called to serve Spanish speaking in the United States Southwest Mission, Mm -hmm. which was Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and like Southern California. So it was technically like a familial yeah. thing. And, you know, he, he still spoke Spanish even, you know, I was speaking when I got back from my mission. It was pretty cool. I got to speak Spanish with him. And, you know, he was excited that, you know, I finally got a grandson that spoke Spanish. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. So it was, it was fun to, to do that. Mm. Yeah. So I would say like, you know, that, that was like when I really developed my own testimony was when I this I, I chose to be independent and I chose to seek after it like on my own mm-hmm. and it, it came when I was in high school and it came in a way that I didn't know it would come yeah because I thought I had a plan and kind of got foiled and it, it got foiled because I chose for it to be foiled right it, it's like I cho- I had chosen to do that for like four or five months where I was like hey this is what I'm gonna do mm-hmm. Leaving mom, I'll see you later, you know. And my brother's excited. He's like, All right, my brother's gonna be my roommate, it's gonna be great, yeah. you know. Yeah. And it just I don't know. Like I think about like where my life is right now, things would be very different had I gone down to Arizona and started like junior college down there and worked down there. I I probably wouldn't be in Maine. Mm. Wouldn't have met Mallory, you know. Right. I, I don't know. Things would be very different. So tell us about being a young single adult, like after your mission, mm-hmm. being back at college, yep. you've served your mission. Yep. So served my mission. Um, luckily, I was put, uh, like I, it's kind of funny, I had a companion who we knew each other at BYU-Idaho before the mission. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. So he was interested in one of my friends um this this girl that was in this apartment so he was interested in her and that's kind of how we met so I was over hanging out with her and her roommates and he showed up he was interested in her (laughs) and I was like okay who's this guy what's going on here you know and then um it's funny we got so I got called to the Houston Texas mission Spanish speaking and then like after I left um he got called to the same mission so I had already so I was a few months ahead of him yeah so then when he showed up, like, someone wrote me a letter and said, yeah, you know, Sean's going to be there. It's going to be, uh, you know, you remember Sean Packard? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And so we, so he ended up, you know, reporting the same mission. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. Like, because we knew he, <laughs> yeah. we weren't, like, best friends, sure. but we were friends. And so we hung out, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then we got put as mission companions. And that was about halfway through my mission. And that was a lot of fun because it was like, does a mission president know what he's doing? Because <laughs> we had a lot of the same friends and sure. we had like inside jokes already. And so that, that was really fun. And then we did, and then we became uh, roommates after the mission. Gotcha. And so we actually like, we would go to the temple like once a week mm-hmm. is what we would do when we were returned missionaries. Um, and like the, like, just being at BYU-Idaho was great because the religion classes were great. The ward was great. Like, a lot of really good people. Um, dated different girls. Like, I don't know. I just, I, I couldn't, I knew what I wanted. Like, you know, when I was dating, I had an idea, but I just wasn't finding it. Um, and then I met this girl from Maine <laughs> who also lived in Saipan. And... Um, you know, that, that was great. So that's Mallory, of course. That's my, my wife. <laughs> but, um, you know, being a single adult, um, it was actually, you know, it was, it was, it was great, you know. Um, you know, I, I'd say that, if anything, the testimony continued to grow, going to the temple. Um, I became close with some, uh, some of my religion teachers and, you know, different... Uh, um, other like religion teachers when I was there and we still keep in contact with some of them today. It's mm-hmm. pretty, pretty fun. Yeah. And just like a lot of really great people all in like this little community, you mm-hmm. know? And so I don't know, it just, it was really strengthening and, um, you know, I got to be there for the dedication of the Rexburg temple. So we got to do some service and like do the tours mm-hmm. and help set things up, get things ready for the open house. Um, so that was fun. And, uh, yeah, and then, you know, dating, you know, found 
you know, Mallory, someone I was like, just really, everything was just clicking when we met. Like we just started talking and hanging out. She's dating this other guy in Alaska. And um, I was like, okay, well, you know, well, I'll, I'll wait. We'll see how long this lasts. He's, he's in Alaska, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I was just, you know, obviously I don't want, don't wish bad things upon anybody. Sure. But, sure. you know, I was just like, she's, she's, a, she's really cool. And she's, we're really compatible. Like whenever we were together, it was just like sparks flew. Like literally, like it was just like there's a connection there, you know. Uh-huh. And um, then he ended up breaking up, or they, they broke up. Like her and her boyfriend um, just didn't end up working out. And um, my friend Sean, who was my mission companion, he came in. He's like, "Did you just see Mallory's Facebook status?" And I was like. <laughs> he's like you should, I'm like I gotta give her some time I gotta give her a couple weeks at least come on like every, all these a few of my roommates were pressuring me like you gotta you gotta like um, go capitalize on that or somebody else is gonna do it you know I was like ah, just, just give me time you know, I, I just can't do it like too fresh too fresh you can't mm-hmm. just jump in right after I, I don't I don't want to mess this up mm-hmm. you know so anyways it ended up um, you know a few weeks later asked her out start dating and it was interesting because other girls that I had dated, like, I just felt like it just wasn't, it didn't feel right, you know? It just, mm-hmm. different things, um, we weren't on the same page, just wasn't clicking, and I was just kind of getting to the point where I was just like, and against, nothing, nothing against girls from out west, but it just, girls from out west were not working for me for some reason, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But when I went met Mallory, it's very straightforward. Um, and that's what I liked. I was like, okay, I, I don't have to guess what she's thinking. I know I like she's she's gonna tell me exactly <laughs> where she's at, and that's what I that's what I wanted. Um, and things just clicked. Like we were just so compatible, and we were always on the same page. Like whenever we were like wanted to move on, like date exclusively. Whenever we were talking about marriage, like everything just kind of like we were both ready mm-hmm. at the same time for the next stage and it was just like a very organic progression um, of a relationship and you know it, it was to me that was like a, a, a sign you know from from Heavenly Father like this is this is a good thing this is this is a compatible person um, I'll share like from our um for the actual wedding, when that all happened, there was, um, because Mallory's family was all in Saipan. And it was really, really tough for, um, like, to get back and forth. It's just really expensive to go across from, like, Saipan. You got to go to, like, Guam. Then you got to go to, like, Japan. It's just, it's not, there's no easy direct route. It's a long plane ride. Um, But, like, Mallory's dad, like, I I was about to ask for... For um, Mal, I was gonna ask, talk to him, uh, to Casey, Mal's dad, and uh, try to get her, to ask for her hand. You know, the traditional ask for her sure. hand marriage, you yeah. know, permission. And I was like, oh, this is gonna be easy. Just the conversation on the phone. You know, this will be great. Um, you know, uh, this will be a, a breeze, right? And then I called him. He was like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna be there next week. So hold, don't say anything. He, he actually stopped me from saying anything. He was like, just, I know what you're going to say. Just hold on. I'm, I'm working on, I'm going to be in the United States next week and I'm going to come visit. Oh, wow. And I want to come talk to you in person. I was like, wow. Okay. So he just happened to have a business mm-hmm. trip where he was coming out for something and he was going to make a little, add a little leg to his trip and come meet me in person. Mm-hmm. And so he, he actually came up and he stayed, um, stayed in my apartment and so I finally had to talk with Casey you know we, we hung out for a couple days and um you know between classes and you know we we went out to lunch and you know we just just hung out and he hung out with just like my roommates and I and so you know the day he left or the day before he left you know we went to my room and we had a conversation and um you know, it was a really good conversation. And, it, you know, I just felt really good mm-hmm. about, like, just, you know, spiritually, I just felt like, you know, we, we talked about things, um, you know, about, like, getting married at the temple, like, all, all the, you know, you know, what, what kind of, like, what were your plans in the future? You know, are you going to take care of my daughter? All those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just went, it was just a really 
really good conversation, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, in that conversation, the thing that I remember the most is talking to him about that. And I was like, you know, I, I talked to him about how our relationship had progressed and how it just felt right, like we were on the same page moving forward all the time. Mm-hmm. And he he was impressed with that, too. He was like, wow, that's that's really, you know, that was... It was really good. And I'd say even from then, after that, he left. And, of course, he gave me permission and all that. And he, um, leading up to the marriage, which was six months later, when we got married in Boston, Boston Temple, they, that that was probably the biggest barrier is, like, you know, like, we, we had our plans that we were doing. And we were executing our plans here in the United States. And we didn't know if, like Mallory's family was going to be there mm-hmm. for like, it was like not until like two weeks before. Wow. And Mallory was living here in Maine and she was working on the island in Bar Harbor and she was trying to plan all these things. She was, didn't have really any family to help her plan it. Like mm-hmm. that was here. I mean, people were trying to do as much as they could from right. a distance, but there was not mm-hmm. a lot of, uh, you know, family was just not close by um, to help with a lot of logistical things. Right. Um, and not, a, it wasn't, I mean, the internet existed back then, of course, but it wasn't like you could just take care of it all remotely like you can today. It's some some of the things, like the mom and pop shops, you had to like actually go into the place and pay with your credit card and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So she was trying to figure all that out. But the big stress with the Connors, with, with her um, family, was how are we going to get there? Like, so Casey is an engineer, and he was trying, you know, he, he is a consultant, and a lot of his clients owed him money, but they had not paid. So he was trying to go around and collect payment terms and, you know, all all the collect payments from everybody. Right. That money that people had owed him. Mm-hmm. And probably, like, two weeks or maybe even a week before it was going to happen, like, everything just fell into place. Mm-hmm. Like, and to fly that many people out and to be in one place for that and to have, you know, hotel, car, all that stuff, everything fell into place for them. And that was, I want to say, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to put a mon- monetary figure on, but it's it a good sum of money to fly a whole family sure. out, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's expensive. I mean, right. when you got a lot of kids and stuff, that's, that's not cheap. Mm-hmm. And so that was, that was a miracle, to be honest. Like the fact, the way that that happened um, and it kind of went along with that theme that, like, with mine and Mal's relationship, that everything was clicking, things were moving forward, mm-hmm. and everything was falling into place. That was the biggest, you know, takeaway from, like, the way our relationship started to all the way through our marriage and even beyond. Like, even today, still, it's still progressing and clicking into place, like, mm-hmm. all these things, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, but it, that was just an amazing experience to, like, see how, because we were, like hemp tickets yeah but we didn't know what was going on we were like are they gonna be here like and i i didn't know her family very well you know i just met right. her dad and they were all you know off in saipan so it was just kind of weird i was like what what's going on and then um you know it all ended up falling into place mm-hmm. and it was you know it was awesome and we got to i got to meet her family like spend time with them like the week leading up to the wedding and um what was that <laughs> Okay. So, um, yeah, so everything just kind of fell into place, you know, and that was, you know, a testament to me that like, and that's one thing that, you know, even just little things, little things and big things were, and that was a testament to me that like, we were making the right decisions and we were being taken care of for it Mm -hmm. and, you know, helped us find a way to move forward the way that the Lord wanted us to. Right, right. So as a husband and then a father, how have you been able to keep your testimony strong? That's that's a good question. I mean, I think a lot of, I think when you're young, I think it's easy to think that like, oh yeah, when I'm older, I, I'll be, I'm not going to worry about that, this or that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be solid in the church, no big deal, don't have to worry about that anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're an adult, there are still plenty of temptations, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. So I think the biggest thing for me is just like, because I don't have a lot of time, like many people, like if, if you're working, you have, you're busy with this project or that, 
you got house projects, um, you got kids. I mean, there's really not a lot of time in the day um, for for much. And so how how I've tried to use my time, like the free time, whenever I do have free time, I think that's always been the best thing for me is try to be productive with that time. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's it's trying to fill that time with instead of just like endless screen time or, you know, idle time, try to fill it with something productive, like learning a language, um, bettering myself, trying to learn new skills, teach my kids um, things about the church. You know, I, you know, we try to do positive things, try to do service for people, try to be actively engaged in, in all these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, like, as a father, like, sometimes, I mean, I think every parent feels like they're failing at some point, right? I mean, that's just pretty pretty universal. Um, so there are definitely moments like that when you're like, man, I wish I could take that back or I wish I could do this better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think being honest with yourself as a parent and swallowing your pride um, and trying to stay aligned with the gospel and stick to, you know, um, come follow me, try to stick to those basic things. And then look for opportunities to apply those throughout the week and to make it come to life for the kids um, and for you too. You know, if you, I think recognizing the Lord's hand in your life is half the battle. Because mm. I think the Lord's hand is always there, but I think many people fail to recognize it in their life. Mm-hmm. So for me, I like if I'm with my kids, something happened. Um, give an example like uh, last week we went to last week and we went to Quebec and you know we my, my niece is in town she's been here all summer she's working in Bar Harbor and so she's living with us and so it's been great a lot of fun so we're trying to give her the tour day north northeast here in the in the, our, our region of the world and so we're like oh it'd be fun to go to Quebec because like we're learning French and she's learning French and it'd be fun to just drive there because it's mm-hmm. really close really cool area like the old Quebec is really pretty and you know I'm like um I'm like all right well yeah I, I, you know we should be all set like we know where our passports are and everything and then like the morning of like that we were supposed to leave it was last Friday I am like I go to my bag where my passport normally is and I'm like I can't find this thing oh no I'm like what am I gonna do so I'm like tearing the room apart looking for everything like just trying to find my passport everyone else has their passport and Mallory's just finishing uh, cooking at girls camp <laughs> and so she's exhausted yeah and so I text her I'm like hey I can't find my passport you may have to go alone with the kids because we already we had already booked a hotel at this point oh yeah and I was like you may have to go alone mm-hmm. with the kids mm-hmm. and she she told me later that she her eyes welled up in tears and she was like I can't do yeah. <laughs> like she yeah. was not happy with the situation and I'm sure she's probably not happy with me and I was like beside myself I was like wow so I, I prayed like multiple times like you know you like kneel down and pray and then you have like an open conversation with Heavenly Father where you're just talking to him like yep, yeah I, I could use some help right now I yeah. just really need to find this and so I did that for like three or four hours in the morning like um, just trying to find it. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was interesting cause I had this thought and it was not my thought. Yeah. I had this like impression like there's the, cause you have the sheets around the bed and then you have like, like a sanitary sheet, like hygiene sheet or something like that underneath. Right. So I, I'd stripped the sheets. I'd, you know, torn everything out and, and I had this, when I was stripping the sheets, I had this thought like take the gray hygiene sheet off too. Mm-hmm. And so I started to like, I had grabbed it and it started to come up. I was like, Oh, I'm not going to tear that off too. I mean, come on. <laughs> so I started stripping everything and I, it's like an hour later, I still can't find it. And then I get this other thought, like check the gray hygiene sheet. Like it's check, just check it. Like it wasn't like it's there. It's right here on the side. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. any clear. It's just like check it. Mm-hmm. And, and I kept putting it off. I was like, it's got to be somewhere. Like, of course, we're, we're just, <laughs> this is the way it works. Why this do we do we're, that? We're, we're, we're stupid. 
That's why. <laughs> so then finally, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to check it. Like, So I started like feeling around the sides, you know, mm-hmm. and I got to my side of the bed and the passport was right inside there. I was like, why did it get there? Yeah. So I, I think what had happened was the last time we had washed it, which was like a month or two ago or something like that, I don't know. Um, like, because I have my bag on the side of my bed and the passport was just, mm-hmm. it must have been just sitting on top. And so when it got stripped and washed and put back on, the fitted sheet part must have enveloped that passport into the side. Mm-hmm. And it collected it, and it just sat in there. Yeah. So when I was searching for it in my bag, it obviously wasn't there. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, like when I felt the side of that sheet and felt my passport in there, I was like, you got to be <laughs> kidding me. This whole time, like, I had thoughts like, check it, check it, check it, and I was yeah. I just ignored it. Yeah. So, like, I have a lot of, that seems like, I make it seem like a major thing, but it wasn't a major thing. It was, like, if I didn't go to Quebec, it wouldn't have been the end of the world, end of the world right? Um, so that wasn't, uh, that wasn't, uh, in the grand scheme of things, wasn't a big deal, but it was one of those little things that happened. I'm like, okay, the Lord's looking out for me mm-hmm. and I need to pay attention. Mm-hmm. And I try to, whenever I have experiences like that, I try to share with them, with the kids mm-hmm. and with the family. Like, so here's what happened, kids, you know, and I, and I tell the story and I tell them about my impressions. I tell little things that happen big things that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, again, recognizing the Lord's hand in our lives, mm-hmm. that's that's the biggest thing. And I think once we fail to do that, I think it's part of the pride cycle. Mm-hmm. Like we start to we start to fail to recognize that and we start to think, oh, maybe that was just me. Mm-hmm. Maybe I got this job because I'm good. Mm-hmm. Maybe I did this because I'm I'm smart or whatever it is, you know, get puffed up in pride. But I think staying humble and recognizing that that wasn't me. Like, mm-hmm. I've been blessed and that was not my doing. Um, you know, I may have put myself in a good position, but, you know, I think, you know, there are reasons for it. You know, what it's reasons sometimes we can't explain, but recognizing it, you know, giving credit where credit is due. I think that um, I, I always try to do that with my kids. Um and as a father, trying to recognize those spiritual experiences, like, I know it talks about, I can't remember what talk, there was a conference talk a while ago where it talks about, like, recognizing the spirit with your kids, helping them recognize an impression or, you know, feeling the spirit, like, mm-hmm. and telling them that's the spirit you're feeling, mm-hmm. you know, trying to do those things. Right. It's um, pretty important because, you know, I think we're still learning to recognize, I'm still Clearly, yeah. trying to recognize the spirit. <laughs> I remember um, there's a talk that Neil A. Maxwell gave, like probably like 25 years ago now. He, it was actually um, when I was on my mission, I had access to um, like audio CDs that the um, the apostles gave mm-hmm. to mission presidents during mission presidents training at the MTC. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of cool. Like I, mission president, let me borrow them and I listened to them. You know, it was mm-hmm. pretty awesome. And Elder Maxwell talked about how he was, um, you know, he was like, I don't know, I can't remember how old he was when he passed, but he was probably in his 70s. I know he had a lot of health problems towards the end. He had cancer. He battled a few things. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was like 80, early 80s when he passed. But he said, this was like in his late 70s, early 80s, he was like, brethren, I am now just starting to understand and like recognize the spirit and the impressions that I'm receiving on a day-to-day wow. basis. Wow. And that's like 80. Yeah. You know, he's an apostle, first of all. <laughs> right. And he's like in his 80s. So, I mean, to me, ever since then, that's always stuck with me. Like, life's a journey. And it's up to us to, like, recognize that mm-hmm. and to, you know, steady his hand in our lives. Um, to let God prevail, like President Nelson says, right? Right. If we don't, if we don't let him prevail, if we suppress that then he won't prevail mm-hmm. um so i don't know i think that it's just a journey and um ultimately our kids have their own agency and they're going to make their own choices but the more we can try to identify and recognize those things 
hopefully that'll help strengthen them too. Because as parents, I think that's part of our job is to do do what we can to strengthen their testimonies in this life and prepare them for for good things. Mm. I love that. Thanks for sharing yeah. everything. Everything. Um, do you mind ending us with a formal testimony? Sure. Um, I've I've had a lot of uh, you know different experiences in my life, like I said, and I don't want to. We don't have time for any more stories, really. But um, I I just these experiences, you know, as I recognize them and recognize the Lord's hand in my life. Like, I feel closer to him, mm-hmm. and I feel closer to my family. I was actually, in my, my patriarchal blessing, it talks about how I'll feel close to my family in the temple, mm-hmm. and how I'll feel close to my ancestors. Like, I just, it, it, and it's weird, like, I, I, was, I was given, I received my patriarchal blessing when I was 12 from my grandfather, mm-hmm. so it was really special, right? I mentioned that earlier. And, um, like, it's, in, in there, like, there were blessings, like, promises given to me that I didn't understand at the time. And, you know, you're given things, you know, because the Lord knows you and knows you better than you know yourself, especially at the time that you receive that. Because, mm-hmm. you know, here we are later on and, um, like, years later. And some of those things are just now being realized. Mm. Like my relationship with my ancestors. Like I felt this really strong relationship with most of my ancestors, but just certain lines of my ancestry, of my, my uh, family. And that's why I've taken up French. Um, my ancestor, I just discovered he translated the, the Doctrine and Covenants into French. That's He's cool. from Switzerland. So I, 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 that's a whole other story. That's a pretty cool story. But... Um, like I, I had the, the first version of that. I thought it was an Italian copy of the Doctrine and Covenants that I got from my grandfather's bookshelf when I was 18. Mm-hmm. Carried it with me all these years. And then when I was in Montana, like four years, three years ago, I discovered that it was the first edition copy of the Doctrine and Covenants. Wow. Translated and mentioned it had my ancestor's name written in there. And that's why he had had it for so long. Mm-hmm. And it was, a good, it was just an old book. I was like, ah. It's an old book. It's got to be worth something. He's carried around this long, right? So it's just kind of cool um, to have have a copy of, you know, just to have that experience. And it really, and that, it was interesting because even before that happened, I had felt close to that line of the family. And then this happened where I had this experience with this ancestor um, where I felt like, like I, I, for some reason, I need to learn French. And I started learning French. And then this happened. And I was like, I didn't realize, wow, this is crazy. Like, it just blew my mind. So, I mean, I've, I've had so many experiences where, like, again, I don't, I don't realize, like, I don't know, the Lord knows me better than I know myself. Mm-hmm. And when I recognize those experiences in my life as, you know, the Lord sees it, rather his plan rather than my plan, I've been blessed and strengthened for it. And I just, I know that the church is true. Um, I've, I, you know, it's, there, there's so many great things about the church and how it strengthened me in my life and in my families too. And I know that as we continue to grow with it, with the doctrines, not so much about the culture, but the doctrines, those, that is what we need to build our testimonies on. Mm-hmm. And as we do that, we will, you know, feel fulfilled will feel true joy um i was joking my kids like church is not always going to be like this fun circus you know it's just not that's just the way it is but um you will feel joy in your life Mm -hmm. by making choices you will feel that fulfillment in this life and i've i've felt that and i continue to feel that you know and uh members of the church are opportunities to serve like i love our ward um fantastic so I, I know that we have a prophet I know that President Nelson's a prophet I know that we have um, scriptures today that were translated by Joseph Smith I know we have the Bible which is a miracle in itself and um, I know that uh, we can be together as a family forever 
loved how Mike developed such an independent spirit and testimony as a teenager and how he has carried that with him throughout his life. Mike and Mallory are a great team. You can hear Mallory's story in Season 2, Episode 8. If you would like to see a picture of Mike and Mallory, you can go on Instagram to Conversion Stories Podcast. If you would like to learn more about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you can visit churchofjesuschrist.org. And if you would like to share your conversion story, you can reach me at conversionstoriespodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to sharing your story.